gonna jump start recording and uh, we'll gradually get into this okay. hopefully you got a, a solid two hour blocked i got seven hours blocked for this so anything less than that i'm gonna be a little bit disappointed a little bit so uh so I have nothing going on in my life right I mean, now. We, we got with <laughs> that's that's kind of hard to believe a little bit i paint a a very fantastical picture of what my life is actually like. So um, I'm glad that it looks like I'm busy. <laughs> Good to know. I thought I thought I thought that was the goal to look busy. Yeah, it definitely is. How about you? How are you doing, man? I am doing good. I'm doing good actually. Um, busy with you know podcasting, obviously. That's um, great. I didn't think it was gonna be this crazy, just with. You know, you just, when you think about podcasts, you just think about the talking part of it. And then, you know, there's a whole, you know, probably like 90% of the work is done behind stage. Um, yeah, you got to so, do all the visuals now too. Like it's not just a, an audio yeah, thing anymore. No, no. Um, but the way we do this, we, we do both uh, video and audio. Um, video if, you know, if the guest looks good. <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> I do my makeup today or put on my wig. Nah. Uh. Um, but yeah, we try to, you know, meet people however way, you know, they're watching it, YouTube, uh, Spotify, um, Apple, wherever. Uh, we post clips on, on the gram. Um, but mostly for me personally, I do audio because, you know, I'm always working and doing things. But the main thing on my plate has been the, the podcast, um, figuring out the structure, um, the behind the scenes structure of it. Um, cause I feel like the talking part is the easy part, but, um, hopefully, you know, today I only have questions, so <laughs> gotcha. Um, we all sat. Yeah, I think so. Any ghosts, <laughs> humans back here? Uh, no, so far so good. Perfect. Perfect. I had no idea you was a video producer. Oh, um, well, sort of, kind of, sort of. A little bit. Uh, it, the videos aren't great by certain standards, but they're certainly fun to make. Um, and I've had my hand on a, a few music videos in the past. Ooh, so awesome. I guess I could put that on the list. Ooh, let's talk about that. <laughs> the music video. How oh, the music video. Um, that, let's see, how to begin that. Uh, I'm blessed to have a great deal of friends that are fantastic musicians and um, having also played with them in the past has developed a very strong bond in the desire for their music to be like promoted into the world. Um, and they also are incredibly trusting in creative processes. So there's been a few great moments where we've all come together and attempted to make a few videos for each other specifically. Um, there's a couple videos that we made for our friend Son Little, who um, is just like a, one of the most talented singer songwriters that I know. And he kind of worked with us to make a, some really goofy shit, um, which was great. And it's always- hey, Son Little? Son artist. Little, yeah. Artist name? Artist, S-O-N Little. Gotcha. Uh, and Have he's you doing great stuff right now have you uh have you directed anything um i would say co-directed one of those videos uh directed some of my own videos for um a couple companies that wanted me to make like testimonial videos for their product but i kind of shifted over to using these little yeah. guys and larger versions of them yeah i like to caress them yeah see them <laughs> to me is very comforting um yeah usually i do a little you got a name for your little guy back there uh, uh he's a little cardboard baby uh, so cardboard babies have been starring in some boy in that harness you got oh yeah <laughs> it's very well <laughs> well hung in there he's not going by, anywhere all by safety little buddy <laughs> um stop looking at it's about me not you <laughs> you stare at me um uh, Awesome, dude. Let's get into this. Um, I'm kind of excited to chat about this. Um, I got a lot of uh, a lot of things I want to kind of touch base on. Um, so the fact that uh, Jess, you and I have been kind of going back and forth uh, 
IG DMs over, I don't know how many years now, a couple of years since we connected. 35 but, years? Seven, 75 years. Yeah. Same, same's like that. Same, same's about right. <laughs> um, but yeah, just like, you know, getting, getting to know a little bit about you and, and kind of lettering. I guess that was my intro to like you and, and what you do was the lettering side of it. So um, looking forward to chatting about that and chatting about inspirations and um, I don't know, day jobs or whatever else. Um, you are in New York, right? Is it Brooklyn? Yeah, I'm in Brooklyn, hanging out in North Brooklyn. And awesome. Ha awesome. Having a good time for now? <laughs> I, I was in Brooklyn uh, some months back now, but first time in my oh, adult yeah. life. <laughs> what did you think? What was your first impression of the whole place, the entirety of Brooklyn and New York? Entirety. I probably saw about one, one and a half block or whatever, but um, it, it was good. I had a good experience. I was, I was out there with a friend and it was more like, you know, catching up and watching sunset and all of that good stuff. So like in terms of this, in terms of the city, uh, no comment on that. But in terms of my experience and what was planned, it was a good time. Right and I popped, in, I popped in the expos by, um, just like by chance, just looking at galleries. And I was like, oh, this is Steve Powers. Oh, yeah, down Park Slope. Yeah, it's pretty cool. I don't, I don't know the area, so. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's interesting you say you, like your experience was relegated to this one block radius or 1.5 blocks. That's like most people who've lived here for like 20 years, like they don't really get out of that. Like they find their blocks and they're like, all right, this is New York for us. And you ask them like, oh, well, where else in Brooklyn have you been? Like, eh, I don't really like to go outside of this 20 foot radius. It's scary out there. There's people, yeah. there's different people. Hopefully they travel and that kind of balance it out, you know? Yeah. But yeah, I couldn't, I couldn't imagine myself for a, a long time. I, I need, I need different faces, places, people, different, different things. Um, yeah, but let's get sure. into it. Let's get into it. Um, dumb naked and broke. Welcome back. Uh, today, I have a special one. I'm chatting with um, IG homie, um, also designer homie from across the bridge, uh, Brooklyn, New York. He's an artist, designer, video producer, and part-time comedian, in my opinion, uh, named Ben Rubin. Welcome to the show. Hey, thank you so much for having me, man. This is a, a big honor to be, I don't know, brought into a place where somebody is curious about my life and um not there's too many people call me up there's a lot to be curious about i'm i'm i'm, I'm particularly uh, interested in kind of the inner workings of um like art comedy or um, just like the hands-on stuff that you do how, how that all kind of came together Right. Well, my lawyers have actually told me not to talk about my art, my comedy, or my design practice. So anything else is fine, um, except for personal questions. Also off the books. Um, no, I'll, I'm open book here. Whatever, whatever I can talk about, I will awesome. do my best to sound interesting awesome. for the audience. <laughs> so do you pour your cereal before or after you add milk? Oh, um, you know, funny story. I started eating cereal with juice because my family didn't have milk growing up. It wasn't like a, okay. a staple product in my house. And to the absolute disgust of my friends, uh, it would often be cereal first, then orange juice on top of it. Um, it was pretty nasty. What, what, um, kind, of, what kind of cereal? It, well, we had only cornflakes growing up. That was like the basic... Yeah, that, that was all there was cornflakes, no sugar. So like the orange juice helped with the sugar rush from a child that wasn't allowed to have sugar mm. that much. So this was like a glorious moment of waking up for me is just like, oh, these cereal flakes are pretty, pretty dry and uninteresting on their own. Let's put some juice on it. Um, so I was in that camp, but never got into milk. So mm. It's always, you know, whatever it is that I pour on the cereal flakes, now it's, it's after the bowl is there. And not too much. I, wanna, I don't really want to have that bowl of like gray water or gray soupiness that I Good to drink know. up afterwards. 
that that was a, a psyche check. Good to know where we are. <laughs> oh man, I'm trying to figure out what kind of uh, psychological That's level it. that puts me on. <laughs> I've never I've never heard the cereal and orange juice before. Oh, also cereal and Kool Aid. That was another uh, one growing up. Uh, that flavor. Ecto Cooler, which I don't think exists anymore, but it was yeah. like a Ghostbusters themed green Kool Aid. And I had that with Apple Jacks at my friend's house a lot, and they didn't like that at all. But what are you going to do? <laughs> I can just imagine the color. It was disgusting. I don't know what was going on in my brain. I was a sugar fiend. This is the first point of the podcast. To parents out there, don't deny your children sugar. Give them moderation. But if you deny it, they are going to want it for the rest of their lives in too much, too much abundance. That is true. That is true. People tend to gravitate towards things that they're told they cannot have. Okay. So, I don't know if it's the same with you growing up. If there was something that you uh, ha- did not have that you craved uh, constantly. Cornflakes, uh, for sure. Grew up on that. Um, that's the one with, what's his name, Tony the Tiger? Oh, yeah, the Frosted Flakes. Frosted Flakes, there we go. Um, that, that was my go-to. Um, and then, you know, Tony kind of let me down when I got ordered, so. Um, <laughs> um but yeah that was that was my go-to uh probably cheerios and stuff like that um but um good to know hopefully uh those uh, sugar ration things kind of help with the creative process now um oh, yeah do you, do you still kind of go to sugar now to you know but at energy art price or do you yes. tend to do something else I need it. And right now I'm in a serious sugar withdrawal. So if you see me start to sweat and shake, <laughs> you know what to do. Just, uh, I don't know, Uber eats me some sugar. Uber eats. <laughs> uh, send that over. Uh, but yeah, that is definitely the vice of choice. But trying to cut down, you know, as you get a little bit older, I'm like yeah. 22 right now. Right. I wouldn't, you hmm. wouldn't tell by this. It, it, it's the Zoom camera. Yeah, sure. right. You know, 22 years old, you got to start thinking about you know your body and your health. So a yeah. little less sugar. Yeah, um, I think like with creatives, that is something that um, normally don't get really discussed is that uh, health balance of um, creating and, and finding um, how do I step away or um, how do I replenish myself or how much is you know over exhaustion because um, I, I know personally for me when I'm in the mood. Um, it's usually, you know, sitting down and um, working and even like I'll have times where I probably feel sleepy. But honestly, when I'm sleepy, those are the, the best times because, you know, the brain is in flow state and you really can, you know, slice through a lot of distractions. But um, that's not healthy to say. Um, let's see. Uh, and then I have times where like I'll be hungry um, and, you know, probably hear my stomach growling and stuff like that but I'm, I'm locked in and probably pushed through for another hour or so and um, try and get some smoothies um, later on. But um, over the last year, year and a half, um, the importance of, you know, eating right and finding that balance, um, just like, you know, hanging out outside and being intentional with, you know, if, if I got an entire day plan, um, being intentional about that week. So I get the, the most on, in terms of productivity. Um, what, what, what's your opinion on trying to find a balance between um, health and creativity? Oh, yeah, that's super important. I feel like when I first moved to New York and started doing the lettering and design stuff, my main place of working was in cafes, like a lot of folks that don't have jobs and are looking to be creative. I was there for quite some time. But you realize you're sitting in cafes, you're like, all right, well, what do they have to eat here? You got, you know, your iced tea, your coffee, and then your assortment of delicious pastries and muffins. And you're like, oh, I'm here for a few hours. I should, yeah, I could have one. Yeah. And you eat one. And then you're like, well, I feel bad for the baristas who have to deal with like this person taking up a table. Maybe I'll get another brownie. It's cool. And then you realize that like for the last eight months you've sat in a cafe every day and had like the equivalent of like half of a birthday cake every single day as you're working. Um, and when you're, you know, younger, when I was like 13 doing that, cause I'm 22 right oh, now. Oh, I thought you was when you was 21, uh, 20. <laughs> <Much> um, <better. laughs> 
right when i was much younger that was okay because you could kind of you know if you're riding your bike around the city you're okay kind of metabolizing that stuff but that you know it sits with you for much longer now um so i definitely try to you know do a lot of walks in between working so i'll be able to work for like a half an hour to an hour tops without moving and then i gotta start moving i gotta like go to the park gotta go ride my bike or walk around and that helps to like calm my mind it also is a great way like as you're doing that exercise to you know clean your system in some ways it also helps me to like get my head out of whatever computer or like mental state that i was in kind of focusing on whatever project and it like brings so many new ideas to what i'm doing like i go outside i'll see like person that looks kind of goofy and i'm like wow that's a very inspiring looking human i could find a way to like make a cardboard version of that person and hang so it up that, that one behind you inspired by anyone in particular that is definitely inspired by myself um I started out as started out as like a um just making fun of myself i was like i'm gonna make some cardboard version of me and just like put it together into like box form but very quickly i realized that even without measuring it was the exact proportions of my body like wow. to a t like i would stand it up next to me a much larger version yeah right. this here but i would stand right next to it and i was like oh my god his shoulders are the same width and like the hunch is the same hunch the head is the same like bulbous greasy face that i look at in the mirror oh um, got the do what do i howard uh, shoulders <laughs> yeah exactly um <laughs> so that also like you know that motivates me to get outside more often and get some sun and yeah. not be so punchy and dry yeah i feel like with creativity when you kind of mix up the different craziness um somehow some way you know subconsciously i guess it kind of comes together and you're able to like produce something probably you wouldn't have thought of or maybe the creative block that you was kind of stuck on just kind of get pushed past that just because you kind of expose yourself like you were saying to a walk or um maybe some sunlight or something yeah absolutely and i felt like similar in like a much larger macro version of this like for folks working in design studios and in-house design areas there's like a lot of i don't know there's a lot of bubble making in those situations where people just like design in their echo loops and feedback loop zones yeah. inside their corporations and companies and studios where they might think that they're doing amazing work because everybody there is like oh my god this is rad this is so amazing oh we're so good but they never kind of like break out of that bubble and like look at the outside world for a moment to like maybe understand a different approach or how people might be affected by what they're doing i mean this is like going a little bit far afield i mean so do you, do you have any advice for those those people anything you 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 recommend they do to switch it up um definitely just open the eyes more to what's going on around us do more like like interact with people more when like even if it's like a small design project just just see what people react to not like necessarily asking your grandmother whether your logo looks good that's fine i mean you should bring your grandmother into every project that you do but um <laughs> more so just like getting a feel of how people are in general how the world is in general like what is making the world go round um and i'm not talking about like trends and uh, i thought you like, were talking about stylistics <laughs> <laughs> not so much like what's popular but more so just like what what the cultural um understanding is of things um yeah yeah i feel yeah. like um apart from reading like um, engaging with people is kind of like the next best thing to traveling um because you're able to like absorb information and be a sponge um, with you know from people who have different experiences and cultural backgrounds and things and and like you're saying be exposed to things you normally wouldn't have the opportunity to um, either learn or, you know, be exposed to. Um, yeah. Yeah, books. Speaking of books, go right ahead. Um, 
any uh, design books or any uh, thing you want to, you've been reading currently or would recommend to um, listeners? Uh, I'm sure I, I got listeners. Um, I rarely read or look at design books, I gotta say. Um, I very much um, am fascinated with sociological books. Um, and that's like where I got my start in the world was studying sociology in my undergrad before I did any art or design. That was like what I thought I was gonna really dig deep into as like a young, bright-eyed, bushy-tailed, beautiful, full head of hair. <laughs> just flowing down, I'd be running in slow motion and the hair would just be like, um, just imagine that to your listeners and viewers. Effects as well. <laughs> um, but while that was happening, I was thinking about sociology and trying to like find my place in the world where there were like a lot of things going on that I didn't quite understand, like why people behaved certain ways um, coming from like a very, um, grew, grew up in a small town, small college town that was like in its own little bubble and then going to college and kind of a, a bigger New Jersey city where things weren't quite as, uh, as I grew up, like a whole bunch of different neighborhoods that things were going like super unwell for, like a city that didn't care for a lot of its residents and just interacting with people that in like immersing in that community were just like, there's something wrong here. Like there's something wrong with the way that the system is is treating these people and the, the way that we right. as like college students are engaging in the world around us. Um, and I was inspired very much by folks that were much more attuned to that stuff than I was like even I could ever begin to be. Um, and so long story short, sociology classes were the ones that were the most fascinating to me. And they continue to be fascinating books. Currently reading a book called The Age of Surveillance Capitalism by Shoshana Zuboff, which Capitalism. is a pretty fascinating take on the whole Google slash Facebook world of data collection and what that has meant for us in the last 10 years and what that will mean for us in the coming years. Um, a lot of it is kind of depressing and scary, but a lot of it is also stuff we tend to gloss over a lot as many, many of us designers work in the big tech industry and kind of are tempted. Like I know I've been in that place where uh, somebody from big tech is interested in your work and they're like, can you do this thing to help promote what we do for a big sum of money? Um, and everything's going to be great. And then you're like, yeah, that's amazing. Everybody knows this company. This is going to be great. I'm going to make some money. And then you start to look into the company itself and you're like, wait a minute. This company's doing some really bad stuff to the world. Do I really want to promote this? A lot of like weights and balances, but again, sociological thinking helps sometimes with my decision making. Whether I make the right decision or not, I don't know, but we'll see. Just the right decision for me at the time, I guess. Right. Sociology helps. I feel like uh, for me personally, um, if I had to like go back and do the whole college experience again, probably would go in sociology um, because uh, like you were saying, like it kind of helps give understanding to not just people, but how, you know, things work is um, things work because of people. So just understanding people and, you know, why they are a certain way they are kind of helps. But uh, for me, I also kind of do a little bit of that in design as well. I feel like a lot of designers kind of do that um, anyway in their uh, research uh, or maybe client discovery process. Um, of understanding either the client or, you know, the industry and all of that. Um, but sociology, for me, um, I feel like it helped, not necessarily to the extent that you learned or what you know in sociology, but for me, it kind of helped just like um, with, I feel like a lot of artists are introverts. So like using that was kind of like a gateway to help, um, you know, talk about my art, speak with people, um, ask real questions and, and, and connect just because there's some set of um, overlap I've, I've kind of you know understood through the research to be like oh this is a way to talk and, and things like that 
um, do you do you feel like got a little bug in the studio? Do you feel like um, artists, whether graphic designer or painter or just I guess in general art and design students, um, should be thinking about pairing that major if they decide to do the college route with something more um, say human based, I guess that you know like a real life thing or yeah. design and business or design and marketing or you know something that you can actually use i think that is very spot on in terms of where people should consider kind of pursuing if they're doing a creative endeavor in some sorts especially design since design tends to be so entwined with psychology and sociology but so many designers kind of gloss over that fact or maybe don't approach it as like an important thing. But to your story of like how you kind of create your work and your design, it's definitely noticeable in, in the terms of the statements that your pieces make for sure. Like when you're talking about something that is important and passionate to you, you can like really feel the heart and soul behind it. Whereas there's a lot of work out there that people put out that doesn't quite have that, that maybe doesn't approach the right. work in that depth and is just kind of like superficial or just like, Hey, here's a cute doodle that I made that I thought would be cool for Instagram or whatever, um, which is fine, but there's no real weight behind it that strikes interest beyond what the aesthetic is compared to say something that you've created with the words that you've chosen to create right. specifically talk about you right <laughs> now. I'm putting you on the spot. Um, but that to me is like, you know, you, you look at the thing and you get one element of the aesthetic beauty of it. And then you look deeper into what you're saying. So it's like on the way home from seeing your work, you can be like, hmm, what was this person saying? Like, what, what did the words mean to me that I read up there? Or what does the, like the visual display of how you have done your work, you know, resonate with me beyond just looking at something on a screen or on paper. Right. And that I think for students getting into the industry um, is important to have in their side pocket, like alongside rather than like a back pocket to like be a secondary or like a, a thing that they like tap into once every, you know, blue moon to see if things are going all right. But right. to have that, shape what you're doing i think it makes the work much more fascinating and then also um relevant to whatever's going on around us rather than completely disassociated from the reality that we live in or harmful to the reality that we're living in right it can also be the case in a lot of design and and what people think is is good for the world and now also thank you i appreciate the the compliment and also i kind of see similar thing in your work as well um and i remember when i scooped the the print that's behind you the no justice no peace print um not just yeah that particular one not just um i remember i was not just like the message that was on there because that one is you know it's obvious but at the same time i was attracted to the quality of the print um, and, and, you know, just in terms of looking at it as, as a message and then looking at it as an art, I feel like it carried equal weight. Um, and I feel like a lot of other artists, designers don't necessarily put a lot of thought into um, execution and, and concepts. Um, so, like, you have a good execution, but then, I mean, a good concept, but then execution is poor. Or some, some artists are really good um, at executing the you know, the drawing, it looks really good or whatever. But then concept-wise, it's kind of lacking and needs a little bit of work. Um, so, but I kind of see that in the, in the sense, but, in, and then on the other side of that, in terms of social issues, um, speaking to, um, you know, the civil, I guess you could call it civil unrest of uh, 2020. Um, and, you know, even uh, the more mental, mental stuff that, um, I guess, with mental health that you got posted up as well, that you're not alone. Um, so, and just like staying in touch with what's happening. I feel like as artists, you've got to take that uh, break from society 
uh, because it keeps going. And as an artist, you get caught up in the loop of wanting to speak or give your two cents to all these, you know, social issues and oh, yeah. or you know, mental issues or, or whatever issues. There's a lot of issues. I feel like as artists, do you do you when you approach these things, do you think about your personal uh, taste um, and maybe morals or things, and then you're like, okay, I could tackle these uh, specific social issues that as a person I could get more uh, feedback to, or maybe shine a little light on this to someone else who see the issue a little bit better. Yeah, I I think how I approach a lot of my work tends to be meditative in process, so it helps to, if there is an issue in the world that I feel like is really important for me to meditate on or just sit and think on and think of my role in whatever that issue is, um, it helps to be able to like really get into the details of the work that I'm doing, sitting for hours, kind of creating intricate lines and flourishes or whatever, just with each, passing hour that I work on something, I'm also trying to get a feel of who I am in the midst of whatever it is that I'm trying to say. Um, and sometimes I'll be like, I don't have any answers. Like I don't understand where I fit into this particular issue or I don't like feel good about, you know, the lack of information that I have about something. And so I will like stop doing a project and spend the rest of that time just researching reading up on stuff and doing like a lot of just more self-awareness into what I'm doing rather than just kind of like saying my opinion on every situation yeah. that comes out, um, which I was definitely struggling with a lot in the last couple of years. I think there was, I mean, there was the, the, like the, the civil justice movements over the summer in 2020, which was a huge, just like, shift in how I felt the dynamic was in terms of how people behave towards each other in New York and Brooklyn, how people saw what they were doing, especially a lot of white folks, whether we did enough to kind of like bring ourselves beyond just noticing and being like, all right, well, I gave money to this. I'm good for like the next six months or, you know, six years. Um, or just like made a little like black square in their Instagram feed. I mean, that's like a lot, there's a lot of reckoning that needs to happen with that. And there's a lot that we need to do to kind of continue that as like a constant everyday process. Um, and I'm definitely like, like, although I'm feeling like I'm making work that addresses stuff, I have so, so far to still go Smart. in terms of like what I understand, what I can you know, insert myself into. And then also what is like for me to just shut the fuck up about and, you know, not do anything besides listen and hear what the world is saying for once. Um, and I think that also for me kind of carried over into what was happening in, in Israel and Palestine uh, last spring, where for me being an Israeli citizen and having family that's from there, I think a lot of people were kind of waiting for like me to post an opinion about what was happening there because there was a lot and yeah. it's like a buildup of a constant, constant thing that has not been addressed properly by the world at large, especially a lot of us Israelis too. Um, it's kind of like, we're just waiting for things to kind of calm down again and like, okay, uh, now we could put this off for another few years. Um, but that was something that I felt like I struggled with, like, do I want to put something out there in the world? Um, and I felt like I, I did not have really an agency to do that at the moment because it was something that I've been thinking about for like 20 years, um, and still don't have like the right answers for in terms of like anything that I think would contribute to a conversation beyond what people are already saying and what people are saying a lot better than me, activists within Palestine, uh, Israeli supporters of Palestinian civil rights. Um, I felt like they were doing a much more cohesive and understandable job. And I felt like just kind of like sometimes putting something out there for the sake of putting it out there to seem relevant 
it can do a lot more harm than good. Yeah. Was that the question even? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I feel <laughs> like, um, like you were saying, you know, a lot to kind of summarize a lot of people talking just to speak or, you know, no real relevance. And also when it comes to social issues, um, that's when I feel like a lot of people are kind of focused on one particular topic and um, it helps to approach it with research and humility and, and also if you can with a perspective from both sides, just to provide a lot of understanding. Um, but something I noticed, especially last year was a lot of artists and designers putting out content um, without really doing much of a research and also probably seeing um, some content on Instagram and then just recreating that exact same content, but in that own style. Um, so I'm like, you know, beyond that, um, you can't really do much. Um, when I was in high school, I was uh, briefly on a debate team um, in, in my class. And I remember the one thing about debate is um, very similar to like being in court where um, the lawyers um, kind of uh, have maybe up to 80, 90% of the information on both sides. Um, so I think that is a pretty realistic approach when people think about social issues to really approach it with, um, you know, even though when you're debating, the, the goal is to, you know, get your point across and, and come out as the victor of that debate. But that um, realization and the need to, to say, okay, where is the opposition at? What are they doing? Um, where, where, where are they coming from? That directives and, and points and all of that, just so you can rebuttal or maybe overpower. Um, but at least you, you're going into it with uh, a state of mind of um, a direction, uh, a state of mind of um, what you're lacking and a state of mind of what your strength and weaknesses are. But in terms of the social issue, I feel like if, you, if that is applied, a lot of people could then um, not only, because most importantly, people who are going through it, that perspective is a lot different than us who are on the sideline and, and creating posters or whatever else to raise awareness. Um, when you're in a situation, um, most likely you're thinking survival, not anything else. So with, with that, you know, brain mechanism and, and working, it's hard to say, okay, let me, let me, you know, try and have myself care about what, you know, someone who's trying to kill me or something is, you know, really actually thanks to me or stuff like that. But I feel like um, stuff that we do with art and things like that helps progress the conversation. Um, maybe help prevent a future situation. Um, but it's more of, uh, I think, I, I look at history and I think of just like the stuff that we are studying now as a society. And because there's been, you know, hundreds and hundreds of generations and, and people who have come, come and went. But the informations and the things that tend to stick around um, were the ones that were really approached with, you know, thinking about humanity and thinking about longevity um, backed by research, um, you know, at the time. But if you think about it, those ideas and things have, you know, stood the test of time. And so that is the same way I look at, you know, the work that I do, um, whether it's, um, you know, something small, uh, you know, something crazy connected to society. I try to make it, you know, speak to, because change doesn't happen in the moment, regardless of how you see it. So I try to make it speak to the generation that's going to come that will actually understand the content and have the tools to build upon the content. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and, you know, even like think, thinking of stuff like um, maybe like war or legalizing marijuana or prison and all of that stuff. Those ideas, um, you could go back to maybe 30s, 20s. Um, but most importantly, I feel like the 50s into 60s was a lot of turning points. There's a lot of topics that, quote unquote, we're solving now was discussed in the 60s um, and was heavily being pushed. Um, but, you know, fast forward to, you know, 2020, 2021, we're now just kind of, quote unquote, legalizing things. Um, you know, a concept that personally I've never understood that you something can be legal if it's already on earth. Um, that's, you know, that's a wild <laughs> concept to me that, you know, is illegal if it's, if it's here naturally. Um, but anyway, that's a whole different thing. Uh, but yeah, 
used to wrap up, you know, back, back things up by research. And regardless of the topic, um, make sure that your individual imprint is on it as a person, um, because there's a lot of, you know, the watered down information that's been passed around that doesn't really have any real substance to whoever that's taking it in, um, whether on Instagram or wherever else um, on the internet. Yeah. Um, going back real quick to some of the things that you were talking about, do you feel that your work and the interests that you'd had in creative endeavors, have they been based in the similar, like similar things that they are now, or have they shifted over the years in terms of what you're interested in talking about? Cause I know like these days you can look at a lot of artists work and like up until the summer of 2020, they were just kind of doing whatever, like yeah. nothing really related yeah. to anything going on in the world. And then something clicked, right. um, especially folks like me, um, even though I like to think that I've been thinking about certain things for longer than, you know, some other folks, but again, we're like comparing. Yeah. Um, but there is this like, Oh, all of a sudden, because it's like available to us to see and it's like relevant and also Instagrammable. Uh, a lot of artists are kind of like taking that opportunity to enter into a new realm, which they were never really interested in before. Um, right. And for better or for worse, maybe it'll help them down the line. But I'm curious for you, for somebody who's had to deal with this shit for his entire life, has your interests and storytelling, has that changed over the years? And how has it changed, if it has at all? Or has it remained? Yeah, definitely. Um, I feel like at the core, it, it's always been the same. Because the core of all of my, my, I guess, my work as a collective is about individual individualism by speaking to the individual. Um, for me, I'm all about change starts with you. Um, so my work, the summary of all is speaking to whoever's reading it. It's, you know, craziness is happening, but you know, it's all about you and, and you know, connecting with the real you and not the societal program you. And, and once, I feel like once you realize that, you'll realize, oh, my perspective on the world has been kind of curved or it's been sideways. Um, only because you haven't taken the chance to really know who you are as a person. And I feel like a lot of people, and to your, to your question too, um, even style-wise and ideas and concepts, a lot of them got refined as I got to really know myself and, and you know, still working on that. But a lot of um, my ideas and concept and where I was coming from, even the aggression uh, tune within it um, changed as well because it was um, – it was more, again, understanding more of both sides of the field. Um, and, you know, with the racial stuff, it's easy to speak about. For me personally, um, I guess I wouldn't, I'm not talking about experiencing racial things personally. Um, for me as an individual, I, I don't, I take it as disrespect. It's either you respect me or you disrespect me. So it's not about race or anything. You can put any label on it you want, politics or not, education or not, it's about respect. If I approach anyone, I approach them as a human being. I approach them with love and respect. If the energy is different, then as a person, I'm liable to match that. That's, that's the only way. Uh, but in terms of me and how I move, it's, it's in a much different light until the situation proves to be otherwise. But with racial stuff, a little bit about me and some personal um, thing about me. I, I was born in Africa. I grew up in, spent, well, Ghana, grew up in Liberia, uh, came to the U.S. in 2009. Um, that was like the middle school days. Um, so with that, there, was, there wasn't much, I would say it was, it was like cultural shock or whatever, but for me, it was more of the, the difference between what I had grown to know, to know in movies and what I was experiencing in real life. Um, and so for me, when I came to the U.S., I attended my first public school. Um, so that, that was an experience, even though it's not much difference, but like just in terms of, um, I would say the level of ignorance is different, where like people could be educated and be ignorant on purpose, and then um, people could be ignorant and defend that ignorance just because they are ignorant. That's, that's for me, that's like the hardest one, because you have to 
help, help, help that person realize you're doing this out of pure ignorance when you have another group that have the knowledge but still do it out of ignorance. I feel like those people, it's easier to get to. Um, but that realization hit me when I was in public school. Um, and art for me, I never really pay attention to art. It was just something I was, you know, kind of good at, would do. But when I was in middle school, uh, the art uh, teacher was like, dude, you're good. That was, this was like my easiest class. I'll show up. <laughs> Probably wouldn't even pay attention to the teacher um, in terms of instructions and stuff. Would just look at the picture and, you know, be good to, to solve that creative problem. Um, so for me, that was an easy class. And um, teachers and parents and friends over the years, um, you know, kind of push you towards where you, where you need to be. Uh, my uh, mom particularly. Uh, but um, once I got into art, it was more of how do I, uh, where at first it was deciding what I wanted to do. So it was like graphic design because of topography. Graphic design was kind of um, the best way to get into the design industry for me. Uh, but then I connected to just being what you, being able to do what you could do with, you know, logos, flyers, business cards, and all of that. And then after my first internship, my perspective on the design industry opened up. I had interned at a uh, environmental wayfinding firm in Philly called uh, Cloud Gashing Associates. And they, they do so many different projects. Just being in there, I was like, okay, design is more than, you know, logos and flyers and things. So for me, I started to work with more, uh, just in terms of exposure, just getting exposed, but then um, coming back to, when my design really started to take shape of, you know, whether form or style or anything, even, even just like um, typeface I was using. Um, I needed the typeface to be bold. I needed typeface to be um, structurally sound because I'm coming from an architecture background. Um, and then with colors, um, I needed the, the many of, of the colors I was using to convey a certain mood, to, to have people um, be in a certain mood, tapped into a certain mood. And, and then um, with the process videos I was sharing, um, I was spent at half an hour going through songs just so I could match mentally how I was working, you know, the mental state that I was in when I was working to pair that up with the song that someone's going to watch the, the process video and, and hopefully they get chills and hit me up and tell me how good I am. <laughs> yes. Song's um, such a big part. So oh yeah, many hours like, on songs. yeah um, I, I pay attention to movies. I feel like it's where I get that from. Um, with if you ever watch a movie without the the background piano music that gets you all sad or happy or whatever, the movie is not as interesting. So like mm -hmm. for me, I was like, hmm, that's interesting. Like songs are really, you know, the they really do get you there. They really do get you um, that extra whatever you need. Um, so I started being very intentional about music and everything. And just everything that now I do, to your point, I would say as I develop, um, the consciousness came with with the style, the presentation, um, the topics that I was talking about. But everything now is intentional, from you know the mockups that are in the the photo, to the colors, the style, and everything else. Um, but now I think it's at the point where even my followers kind of expect me to have a certain level of you know intensity when I'm speaking to certain things. Um, and so I, I noticed that when I post uh, on like a lighter subject, people gravitate towards it, but it's mm -hmm. like, it's, it's different people. So at the same time, it's nice to kind of, you know, tap in with different uh, people in the following and, and, you know, just see where everyone's at. But, yeah. What, uh, what were the movies that you grew up on that prepared you for your <laughs> arrival to the United States? I'm very curious as to like what the, yeah. I wasn't, it wasn't, I wasn't the type of person that was like watching something to intentionally come here. It was just, you know, whatever I watched, I watched. But um, let's say, I would say a lot of rap related movies, a lot of gangster movies with Ja Rule. Oh, nice. Because, <laughs> you know, Ja Rule was like the artist back then, like 50 Cent, Ja Rule, G Unit, all them dudes. Um, right. I remember they did a lot of pair ups with like Jet Li. There was some. Yeah, yeah, like all the all movies. the all the martial arts movies. Um, caught up on those, but uh, movies that I watch, I want to say uh, like Hellboy, um, X Men. Um, uh, what, what's the other one called? Uh, these aren't really like necessarily American, you know, 
day to day interaction movies. Um, but uh, movies like uh, uh, Lord of the Rings, I saw that one. Um, some more like American based movies, like stuff with like Nate Cannon and all them witty comedy movies. Um, saw all of those. But for me, the, the difference was in the people um, when, I, when I got here. Um, when I, 09, had an accent, was in school, trying to, you know, figure out, um, you know, social cir circle, you know, where I wanted to be, um, who was the smartest kid that was going to help me with my homework, you know, all that, all the, the, the real stuff you need um, when you're in school. Um, but the thing that, that jumped at me was just how ignorant people are. Uh, for no reason, because um, for me, I had had a lot of experience when I was living in Liberia and in, in Africa. Um, so when I came here, I was like, you know, like technically, I was I was like a different person. But in terms of like you're saying with the look, you're here, so everybody get bunched up in in whether you're African, Haitian, Jamaican, um, Black American, it don't matter. They're all one people. So that for me was was a bit, bit of a difference. It's kind of the same thing. I can't really speak to it as much, but similar to like Asian people, kind of you know having uh, talk about if they're Korean, Japanese, you know that that kind of tears. It's, it's quite different. I'm at the point where honestly, I don't mind. Again, it's an individual thing for me. But um, for me, I would say just like the people and just level of ignorance, just uh, as far as exposure. Um, I feel like a lot of, and I think it's just kind of the use, but, and then adults grow up and not kind of lose that behavior as well, but just like the lack of exposure to the outside world. And I feel like a lot of terminology in America um, tends to be, you know, like word champions or whatever. If you look at sports, it's such a, a weird perspective because a basketball championship in the NBA it's called National Basketball Association. But in the finals, it's called a world championship. That's, that's a weird concept. If the, the event name is national, but then the final is called a you know, world championship. Same, similar with, you know, with the NFL. It's a, it's a weird concept. And Americans don't seem to understand that. That I feel like the day-to-day the -day interaction, whether with words or things like that, tends to mentally kind of offset um, how uh, Americans tend to um, look at other people. But for me, the level of ignorant, and I was a kid, really, really high-headed. So it was a lot of, a lot of uh, patience went into just, just sitting still and letting people talk. Um, so, for, but for me, that was, that was also like therapeutic because it, it taught me that um, um, a lot of people aren't worth your, your time. A lot of conversations, um, if, whether you engage or not engage, you got to see if you could get value from it before, you know, you choose to engage in that conversation or with people and things like that. Um, but for me, I, I would say just culturally, just um, ignorance to other people culture, I would say. Excuse yeah, me. That's a big, a big shaping force for sure. Yeah, yeah, it was, it was, but um, let's pivot a little bit to some lighter. Um, <laughs> Uh, yeah, I'm sorry also that when you came here, it wasn't all uh, superheroes. Oh, sunshine and, and rainbows. Oh, sunshine I, and rainbows and superheroes. That was a big part. Honestly, the, the, the biggest thing was when you watch the movies, the streets are clean as hell, bro. Just so clean. Every, every, I, I like, over here you watch movies and you see dirt in the streets. But for some reason, I guess now it's different, but maybe like the movies was, that was going out was being censored. Like it was, it was clean. I'm saying it was clean. It was like ads you see and you go pick up a Mickey D's burger and you're disappointed. Um, yes. But that's, that's how it was. You know, the movies was crisp, it was clean. And I came here, it's trash all up on the streets. I'm like, false advertisement. Little did I know, you know, <laughs> that I was at the mothership of false advertisement. Oh yeah, this like, um, my neighborhood in particular in Brooklyn is like the epicenter for Netflix Marvel shows. So they film like every single Netflix superhero show in Greenpoint in Brooklyn. And you're like, damn, that place looks clean. The streets <laughs> look slick. Like they've just been watered down every shot. Um, and of course, every neighborhood in New York is filmed in Greenpoint. So that's like the other thing is like they're in Manhattan, but they're actually filming just around the corner from where I live. And so this is not Manhattan. 
also why is it so clean why are there no like you know people revving their trucks up constantly um but yeah it's it's great it's like also similar to how my parents kind of came here to the u.s when they were trying to get away from chaotic middle east um and they through whatever like songs that they heard like things that they heard in cultural zeitgeist they thought the u.s was like the epicenter for like socialist hippie culture and they're like this is amazing we gotta get to this like right this place of like you know everybody who wants you know something in the world that they haven't that they've been denied constantly is gonna get it because they like band together and they have these like coalitions of human rights activists and then they got here and they're like what the fuck <laughs> it's like 1971 1972 came around where like there was the backlash against the cultural revolutions and like the the rights revolutions where it was like we got to have a law and order country and then it kind of like stayed that way until now yeah i feel like whenever there's a civil unrest in the country it's kind of uh i look at it as the onboarding process that basically the government's like new new people are coming in you know, like freshman year, we got let let them get rid of that middle school ways, <laughs> get them reform to be a tool. Yeah. Um, that. But uh, yeah. Um, anyway, what's uh, what's the worst job you ever had? The worst job. Um, the worst job was in hindsight, it wasn't awful, awful. But while I was doing it, it was terrible. Um, it was removing. Uh, grubs and larvae from wool like wool yeah from like wool fabric somebody yeah. had stored like a lot of old fabric in their basement and this was at a time where i was just doing odd jobs trying to like get myself through after college so i was taking anything i was like whatever job you have i can probably do it and if i can't i can pretend to do it but one of the jobs came up where the woman was like, I want to keep all this fabric and I don't want to get rid of it, but it's full of bugs and worms. So can you just take those things out? Um, and that, that'll be your job for the day. And I was like, I can handle this. Um, and like 20 minutes into that, I was just like, what the fuck am I doing with my life? Have like, is this what I'll be relegated to? Like I what, put this on my resume. Of, what kind of bugs was in it? So it's probably like moth larva, like worms that would eventually turn into moths that would lay more worms. So they're like probably this big, pretty small for like a whole bale of fabric where you're just like, okay. So I had a bucket of water that I would just drop them into. Um, I got maybe 2% of all the worms after two days of working on that. Um, and it was very sad. And the woman was like, okay, great. Um, this is all the money I have, so. <laughs> oh, hopefully uh, it was a good paying gig. Uh, hopefully. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, for the time, I think it, maybe it was like 15 bucks an hour. And, you know, for what, 15 years ago, that was pretty high. Um, so that that was pretty rough. Um, it didn't like affect me mentally that much as like other jobs, which is weird. It's like, you could probably get through most like, painful disgusting physical jobs and at the end of the day you like have something to laugh about um yeah. even if you made like you know you know 45 bucks for two hours you're still like all right it was an experience i'm still alive yeah. but if you spend like i don't know you know a year working for a design firm doing work that you absolutely despise but getting paid like $150,000 a year for you're gonna deal with that shit for like 20 years down the line in terms of like how much it has mm. kind of taken away from your life force. Mm. Um, so, you, so you think a, a passion has to do a lot with career choice? Uh, I would hope so. I know that a, a lot of folks don't have the luck or like the blessedness in terms of whatever powers may be that allow for somebody to right. pursue something like that. Um, but when it does fall into place, it can be fantastic on one hand. And then also it could be 
frustrating on the other hand of like knowing what it is that you really love to do but then sometimes not being able to do it yeah um for me it's like being denied that sugar that you know you love so much but it's like more healthy than sugar i gotta say not not the best metaphor but it definitely helps i mean if i was passionate about removing worms from fabric maybe i'd still be doing it today i mean i'd be like a worm person worm man um, worm man. Worm man. Uh, I don't yeah. think that's a, that's a super here. But you can be the first. <laughs> Somebody will write a comic about me called Worm Man. Um, hey there, this is the end of part one of my episode with Name Ben Rubin. Make sure to stick around for part two. <laughs>